What's up, gongheaders? I'm back. It is the first official day of summer, meaning that uh, my life as an elementary school counselor has come to a pause here for a couple months, which opens up a whole new suite of intentions that uh, I can either act upon or ignore. And uh, today's also my 15th wedding anniversary. My wife is out working. We'll hang out later on tonight, but for now, I just wanted to, uh, yeah, get back on the horse as always, but, um, I've been, you know, just, just working. So it's been a strange year professionally, obviously with the pandemic and, uh, my job as a school counselor, once we came back to school, we were basically out for, uh, what seemed like forever. And then we just kind of came back here for, you know, two months of this, uh, in-person learning and maybe only half the kids at the school came back the other half chose to stay remote and we did this weird thing where Wednesdays was a remote day that we would have off that we would supposedly be addressing the educational and in my case mental health needs of all the remote kids and then on Monday Tuesday Thursday and Friday we'd be in the building dealing with the in-person kids and it, yeah, it was weird. Like they just basically utilized me as a lunch monitor. We just, everything was different. You know, they, they wouldn't let the kids eat in the cafeteria. So they had to stay in the classrooms and with all the kids in the individual classrooms, you had to have all the staff that basically weren't teachers were needing to bounce from room to room to room during lunchtime to give the teachers their, you know, one and only break of the day. So... Yeah, I literally would be like three hours a day out of, you know, the six that I could do anything else was just a, kind of a lunch monitor. At first it was it was okay because it gave me FaceTime with the kids, but eventually it got old. I wasn't really able to do my, my thing as a counselor much. So hopefully we'll get back to some form of normalcy uh, in the fall. And then for me... Um, yeah, the whole, this whole COVID thing has been especially weird. I mean, it's weird for everybody, but just before COVID hit, maybe, I don't know, just a matter of a couple months, I uh, was diagnosed with chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And that's like an immune system cancer, basically a blood cancer. And I was just, you know, wrapping my head around that and getting myself back into you know, a positive place, just having to accept it. And then the pandemic hits and the pandemic's obviously scary for, for everyone, but uh, specifically if you're immunocompromised, which uh, if you have CLL, you are immunocompromised. Uh, it added this other layer of, you know, how much uh, risk am I willing to take? And as everybody was trying to assess that, you know, am I going to go home and see mom? Am I going to go back to work? When am I going to wear the mask? All this. There's this added layer for me of being in this uh, extremely high risk group where, you know, you, you couldn't get really great data. The data that was has been coming in is so provisional because everything is so new. But the data that was out there was showing, you know, yes, it's a, it's COVID and, and CLL are a bad mix. And at first, you know, the only data they had was 
uh, studying people that were hospitalized for COVID. That was the subject pool. And of the people that had COVID and CLL and had COVID serious enough to get into the hospital, the death rate was like one out of three. So you take a piece of data like that, it's just hard to it's hard to know how, how does that affect me in my assessment of my own risk because I'm not in the hospital, I don't have COVID, I'm not even the typical CLL patient and then I'm much younger. Um, I'm relatively early stage, so my immune system's probably not as compromised. That you know, it's, it's just hard to assess these things. But you also want to, you know, take reasonable precautions. And so I decided to go back to work. And like I said, they put me on lunch duty, which I strangely was like turned out to be the most high risk thing you could do. If I was just doing my counseling thing, and I'm in my office by myself or with one other kid, that would be lower risk. But Obviously, when kids eat lunch, they have to take their masks off. So really what I would be doing for most of the day was going from a room of 20 unmasked kids yelling and screaming and jumping all over me. And then I would that would be like first grade lunch duty. And then I'd immediately go, you know, to second grade lunch duty. And it would be another 20 kids unmasked. And then to third grade lunch duty, another 20 kids. So I'd be exposed essentially to, you know, over 100 unmasked kids all of which, all of whom are like clamoring for my attention and whatnot. So I was getting maximal exposure. Of course, I had the mask on. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then, um, you know, of course, I, I did the vaccine. And again, this kind of just fucked with my head because most people were getting the vaccine and hearing, okay, it's 98% effective or whatever the data was. But again, that's, you know, that applies to normies and not uh, CLL people. And the data specifically for CLL people just wasn't there. There was just this known issue that uh, vaccines generally don't seem to work great for people with CLL. Like the flu vaccine doesn't work well. just has to do with what CLL is. You know, it's this cancer of the B cells, which is part of the immune system. And so in any event, when you get a vaccine the response that normal person has that gives you the protection just doesn't seem to happen as well or at all for people with CLL. So it was kind of unknown how protected I was, but I just decided, you know, not to uh, limit my life too much. So I was vaccinated, but then uh, toward the end of school, just in the last month, a bunch of provisional data has been trickling in about uh, the COVID vaccine and CLL people. And again, initially, it was just not promising. So the data they had, of course, you're having small sample sizes, uh, basically showed that only about 50% of people with CLL that got the mRNA vaccine, like Pfizer or Moderna, only 50% developed antibodies. And then you're already getting into having to pay attention to specific language because just because you developed you know, detectable antibodies doesn't mean you're necessarily protected or well protected, but the general gist is a full half of people with CLL weren't showing any antibodies whatsoever. So then you would have to assume probably weren't protected at all from the vaccine. So then here I am going into work and potentially getting exposed and thinking the vaccine is like, it's a coin flip. It maybe did nothing for me. And of course, when it comes to research, you don't really care that much about the statistical probabilities. 
I want to know what about my own particular case? You know, do I have the antibodies or not? Can I just get that tested? Then I call my doctor, and of course, you know, my hematologist, oncologist guy hadn't read any of this research, which you can't really expect. I mean, he's doing doctor stuff, and I'm paying a special attention to every single research thing that comes out. But uh, he agreed to, to give me the antibody test um, just so I could have some peace of mind and, you know, assess my risk a little easier and then my travel plans for the summer. So I actually just got those results back this week. And, of course, school's over anyway. So, um, But it turned out I did show detectable antibodies. Again, it doesn't prove that I'm protected or how well protected I am, but it's, it's good to know the vaccine did something. And so I'm going to be flying to New York over the summer and, you know, again, maybe putting myself at some kind of risk. So it's just, as with everybody, it's just fucked up now. It's like getting, getting immunocompromised in a dramatic way and then right on that, boom, now we're in a global pandemic where maybe if you get this thing, you might be one of the ones that dies and all that. It, I, I guess I handled it fairly well. You'd have to probably ask my wife for a more accurate account, but sort of like with the CLL, I'm I'm actually pleased with myself with like mentally how I've just handled it. You know, obviously, ideally, when you get in a situation like this, you want to be as anxious or worried uh, as it takes to, you know, do whatever the productive thing is. So, you know, I'm concerned enough that I'm paying attention to the research and educating myself on everything and then, you know, making the best possible decision I can. But then once I do that, to the extent that it's possible, you want to drop the anxiety and the negativity. And I think I've been able to do that for the most part. So um, I do have, you know, as always in, in the summer, I have an upcoming appointment. And every time I get the blood work drawn for these things, there's always the possibility that the cancer's progressed and I'm going to move into, you know, shit town and have to be, you know, put on cancer treatment, drugs and all this, and my life's going to suck balls. But um, it's just one of those things where I've just learned now in between appointments, I just, I tr just don't worry about it, you know, and then that 10 minutes as I'm waiting for the doctor to come into the room and trying to read his facial expression as to is he going to give me good news or bad news? There's there's some anxiety, but then you just kind of have to roll with it. So, yeah, the COVID thing has been weird, and in the, the job, again, just you can't really be an elementary school counselor with a fucking mask on. It just I can't do my job. You know, everything I do is connecting with the kids, and well, all right, I'm overstating it because I did my job, and the kids still had fun, and I was able to connect with them, but it's just not. You know, it's not the same. So hope everyone out there is doing well and uh, is healthy and whatnot. And we can all move into some sort of normalcy here. Um, so, yeah, what else can I tell you? I probably had, you know, a million things that I wanted to talk to you, you or myself about on the podcast, things that interest me. And I'll just do that as I get back into podcasting over the summer. I'm going to be doing traveling. I'm Heading to Arkansas, Texas, New York, just visiting family that um, we haven't seen in a long time because of the pandemic. So, um, But otherwise, 
I'm back in the uh, in Green Desk Studios. I'm hanging out. I did get a case of uh, what's I guess called GAS gas gear acquisition syndrome. And I've never had gear acquisition syndrome when it comes to, you know, musical stuff and guitar pedals and all that back in the day because I had no money. You know, when I was actually in the band and I'm working like a minimum wage job and have student loan debt, you know, coming out my ears, there was never a question of buying a bunch of shit because there was just no means to do it. Um, I'm in a weird position now where... I've been working now for a while and my wife and I keep getting raises and we don't have kids and we basically have plenty of money now, um, which is great. I mean, I've, I've also taken to donating a, a substantial amount of money every month to local charities and food banks and all that kind of stuff during this pandemic time. And it's just, I don't even notice it. It, you know, the, the bank account just doesn't even feel these significant donations. And so then I'm in a spot where I can basically afford to get whatever the hell I want, which is weird. I mean, I'm 50 years old and I've never been in this position before where essentially anything I want musically. And I guess that presupposes that my wants are somewhat reasonable. I'm not going to, you know, I can't just buy like a whole music studio that cost a billion dollars, but... As far as, you know, mixers, guitar pedals, this and that. Um, fortunately, I don't have a, a craving for guitars themselves because those are, ex you know, expensive things to want to collect. You know, I just got my, I got my acoustic, my electric. I mean, I don't even understand why you need more than one guitar. Um, but that's because I'm not, you know, probably a pure guitarist. But anyway, I got into um, watching different YouTube uh, guitar pedal demos, which is the first mistake. I mean, obviously these people, to the extent they can gain an audience, they're going to, you know, be sponsored by various pedals and their job is to make money for themselves. And then they get hooked up with companies that want to sell you shit. And uh, it was a good lesson in being controlled by the algorithm. I just have this, my phrase right now for the fact that all of our minds are just completely programmed by social media and internet algorithms and and our our free will to the extent that it exists at all which it basically doesn't and never has but um even that relative free will is just turning to shit so you know i, I just couldn't quite resist because that one barrier of not being able to afford it was removed so somebody would demo a pedal and i would say huh i'd like to have that and then I could just go on Amazon or Sweetwater.com and just get it. And really, I could just do that with as long, much as I want to because I have enough money. And so, yeah, I picked up quite a few pedals to, quote unquote, complete my pedal board. And we'll see. Um, I'm sure that's just a joke. Everyone's always upgrading, but... I can't, it's hard for me to even imagine what the hell I would need now. You know, I've got four different microphones in the studio. And again, for my purposes, why would you need more than that? I've got, you know, a nice mixer. And then I've got all my old stuff, like the old mixer and the old eight track recorder and the old 
pod 2.0 effects thing and I do utilize a lot of the old stuff but I've got my sort of electric guitar board my acoustic guitar board I've got my little PA system and plenty to just have fun and of course what do I do most of the time I just pick up my acoustic guitar and play without anything plugged in and and of course that's uh that's the f- the fundamental thing there but so I'm hoping to get some recording done and play with some of my new toys. But it was interesting to fall into this this gear acquisition syndrome and succumb to the algorithm. And that's another thing, you know, I know some of you who listen, which max is one or two people, would have uh, taken note that I am interested in this whole thing about how social media algorithms are affecting society and us as individuals and political thinking and you know, social justice uprisings and all this. And uh, if that's not your thing, well, sorry, because I'm still super interested in that. I'm still very much convinced that almost everything that we're all, we all think is happening out there. And if you're, you know, from progressive people to conservative people to people that are not able to be mapped on that, uh, that sort of spectrum like myself, we're all absolutely being controlled by the algorithm. Everything we think is happening is what we're being served in our feeds. And those feeds are algorithmically constructed. And they're constructed in such a way as to drive engagement. And engagement comes from basically being able to hijack our uh, limbic systems and our brain systems that are, you know, tuned, especially tuned evolutionarily and otherwise to negativity and outrage and anger and emotional upset. And I'm noticing this more and more and more. And I'm also noticing that I'm not immune to it at all. And it's, uh, I think it's the most important issue right now. I know that people could argue with that. Oh, what about this? And what about that? Yeah, there's a lot of important issues, but This is kind of a meta issue because if we can't, as a society, even have discussions or come to a consensus about anything, I mean, just look at the pandemic. Half the country, you know, won't even believe what's happening or doesn't believe that, you know, or believes it's a conspiracy or that the vaccines are, you know, unsafe. And you can't get people to even agree on basic facts because we don't have a common source of information that's trusted. And it's the same thing with social justice thing. Half the country thinks that, you know, uh, black people are getting gunned down in the street uh, by murderous cops on a daily basis. And then you look at the statistics and it can be argued that things are getting better and better. And then the other half of the country you know, is uh, reacting to that and, and and believes that, you know, the election was stolen and, you know, QAnon, weirdness. I mean, you just, you cannot even believe um, where the discourse is in the country. And of course, that's fine. We've always had our different perspectives and different influences, but we have to be able to have discussions. And now uh, it seems like we're all living in a personalized bubble where these corporations have now just monetized our attention. And, um, you know, you really, well, there's two things. There's a certain type of person that can understand 
the argument I'm making and totally gets it. They understand what's happened. They've paid attention to how the internet and smartphones and these algorithms affect society and their own patterns of behavior and their own minds. But of that subset of people, most, they can see it in others very easily. It's like confirmation bias. There is um, certainly uh, a certain type of person that understands what confirmation bias is and uh, can definitely see it playing out in other people and can, you know, do a PowerPoint presentation on confirmation bias. And they give lip service to the fact that, of course, it happens in themselves too, but they just really don't get it when it's pointed at themselves. And this is the frustration I have. I'm constantly dialoguing with people who understand full well what confirmation bias is and and this this whole argument about the algorithm. And they know it also affects them, but they just don't dig deeply into that at all. And that's what I'm trying to do with myself more and more is... Um, is really dig into this because I want to understand it more. And I think it's, it's important and, uh, it's just interesting to me. So that's just one thing, obviously, whatever I become interested in, I just talk about because as I mentioned a million times, this podcast for me is just a way to think out loud and clarify my own thinking. So I'm hoping to do that more. I'm hoping to write more. I did start to make some progress on my quote unquote novel. And then that, it just goes by the wayside when you have a full-time job. So obviously the summer comes and y'all know it's just kind of like, uh, you know, new year's resolution syndrome. I have these intentions. I'm going to be running two miles every day and exercising and da, 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 and, uh, getting creative and, and spending this time doing the things I don't have time to do. And I know I will do that to a certain extent, but there's also other bullshit to do and shit around the house and traveling. So Anyway, I just wanted to jump back in and uh, just get my feet wet again with all this stuff. And uh, yeah, just spend some time playing some music, recording, and just getting back into this creative vibe that that I'm doing here. So anyone that's out there, I hope you're doing well. And uh, yeah, I'll, I will be doing this more often, hopefully. If you're interested, then I'll check you next time. And uh, yeah, hope everybody's well. Later. Nothing but the sound.